Amen. Amen. Well, guys, hopefully you got a Bible with you, and if you do, would you make your way to the book of 1 John chapter 1? It's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around you that you can just pick up in the chairs right in front of you, page number on the screen. You can use an electronic device. One way or another, we want you to be there with us. Same true for you guys who are in the overflow or those joining online. Same invitation. Hope you got a Bible and that you would join us as we are on Sunday mornings working through the book of 1 John verse by verse. And actually, we're kind of starting that today. Well, we've actually had a couple of other messages where we've kind of given us some background. We looked at who John was as a person. We saw some things that led into this moment. But today we're beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, and beginning our verse-by-verse study through this. And so we're excited for you to be with us, and we're hoping that as you would follow along with us, that God would speak to you through His Word, that He would help you to understand what He's saying, and today to hear what the Spirit would say to you. So let's take a moment and just pause and ask for that. Let's just ask that God would give us ears to hear for that. I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you would take a moment and pray as well. That God would just give you the ability this morning to hear what he would have you to hear through his word. Father, we thank you right now. We thank you for this space. We thank you for being a God who is at work in this world and how much we need that. Thank you for your word. We recognize that it really is powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword is how you described it. We recognize that's true. Lord, how much we need that, that you're the only one that can do that work deep in our hearts, transforming, changing. And you do that through your word. So help us not to miss it this morning. Would you grant us help and favor so that we see what you're saying? Would you be upon this moment, help me to speak the words that you want me to say? but then would be with each one hearing, that they would hear from you what you have for them to hear. That you give us ears to hear what your Spirit is speaking, and God, by your help, your strength. Would you just make that so? We ask for that right now as we thank you for this morning and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We live in a world that is so marked by phony and fake that very often we find ourselves in need of kind of stamps of recognition, things where we'd say, okay, this is a real deal, like this is authentic. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? We live in a world from fake news to from fake products to, you know, false advertising to the phone calls that come in and are trying to sell you a car warranty, you know, on your car. I mean, you're always like, is this real? I mean, what, what, what's false? What's real? Sometimes you almost just, I need to know. Like, what's telling the truth? I mean, it, it, I mean, I need to know authentic. And in many ways, in a world that is so marked with deception, and it's been so all the time because Satan is a liar, we need that which is authentic. We need that which is genuine. And as John begins his letter, in many ways, that's exactly where he draws us. He's going to draw us to understand the authentic nature, the authentic Christ that's there for us, the authentic Jesus that he longs for you and I to see. Why don't you just notice with me how it begins there in verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
pause there and just think about it. He just begins in that very first word, that very first word that launches us out, that, and please understand this, the that is Jesus. The one that he's going to speak to from the very beginning, the very, the very part of it, he's pointing to Jesus, but he begins us with this incredible understanding where he's telling us that which was from the beginning, that which is from there. And you have to understand the tie-ins. You go all the way back to the beginning of the entire Bible, Genesis 1-1, and you have the very first verse in Scripture that just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But those first four words, in the beginning, God. Before there was anything else, before there's a heaven and earth, before there's even light, before there's a sun, before there's a solar system, there's a reality that he wants us to understand that self-existent beyond that, just perfect beyond all that is in the beginning, at the very foundation of everything, is God. Now, John seems transfixed by this, by the way. Not only does John write 1 John, he also writes the Gospel of John. And the four Gospels we have, three of them kind of walk through just the, who Christ is. Both Matthew and Luke kind of give us those early days, the birth of Jesus, and Mark just kind of launches out into the servant nature of Jesus. But John begins his Gospel in the same way. So he would say it this way in John 1.1, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That somehow, even in the Gospel of John, he's just transfixed by this, which is altogether fun, by the way, because John knew Jesus. Like, he walked with him. He spent three and a half years with him. I mean, he knew him face to face. Yet somehow, as he begins to write his Gospel, he, he just says, you know, before any of that, I mean, you just have to understand, in the beginning, before the foundation of the world, I mean, God, I mean, in the reality of all that that is, before all that that is, there is this, and that is this one. There is that in a sense that as we think about this, that this is the eternal nature of God, the very eternity of God existing before anything else began. It's the idea of Him being the very fundamental reality of everything that exists. And I want to tell you, that's a bigger concept then I have any idea to be able to communicate to you right now except to say it's huge. Like God. I mean, in the beginning, God. I mean, He is everything. He's the source of everything. He's the foundation of all life. And so as John begins his letter here, he just draws to it. He says, that which was from the beginning. I mean, from the very beginning, before anything was that, this one who is that. And then he goes on to describe him go back to verse 1 again, that which was from the beginning, and he talks a little bit about his just comprehension of it, which we'll come back to, but we'll just read it. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So the one that was from the beginning is also now, he tells us, the word of life. That, he, that, that this is what it's concerning, that this is who it's about, that we think about what that is and, and who Jesus is, and he's going to describe him here for us, again, as the Word, the Word of life. Okay, I'm going to do my best to kind of just stretch your comprehension for a moment, just task your brain bigger than any of us can get to. We could spend a year talking about this, and we would have not even begun the subject in many ways. 
But when the Bible uses this term word, what you need to understand, the, the Greek word logos, uh, its understanding within the Greek culture, the understanding the way it worked in those days, is it's a concept that just describes the, the wisdom, the substance, the source, that which upholds all life. That the, the logos or the word, it was this reality of that which knits everything, is everything together. Now, it's an interesting thing. Really, all cultures somewhere, somewhere in the midst of that, have a way of trying to understand that, a way of seeing it. Uh, sometimes even through kind of fantasy. Uh, some of you are Star Wars buffs, and so you would know kind of in this fantasy, which is a lie. Let's make sure I'm being clear about that. You know, they come up with the whole idea of a force, and they talk about what this force is, and they'll say, hey, it's, it's that which knits everything together. It's, it's the thing that throws through all life, and all life is a part of, and, and they come up with this concept, and it's kind of a, a weird way of looking at it, but they touch it as they're saying, hey, there is something. Well, for the Greeks, that was the logos. They saw it that way. For the American Indians, it was the great spirit. For others, it's kind of mother nature. It, for, for, for the Romans, it was this, in a sense, war, this god of power. For most Americans, we find ourselves thinking, hey, we're above all that, but it's not really true. If we had to say where Americans land in this, it would probably be within the realm of science. Now, please hear me clearly. I'm not talking about COVID or any of that kind of weird stuff. None of that. Leave that behind. But there is a sense that we've become a culture that almost worships that, that we say, hey, the basis of all life is, you know, we got the law of thermodynamics, the law of gravity. Uh, we have these things that kind of encompass, you know, just rules and laws that make up the world. Well, the Greeks would have looked at you and said, so who do you think makes that up? Like, where does all that come from? Why, why is there, you know, rules? Why is there order within the world? And they say, that's the logos. That's this thing that really gives substance to the world, that, that is behind everything and encompassing everything together. Well, what the Bible comes and tells us is that's Jesus, that Jesus is the one who is the word of life. He's the one that is that substance, that is the one that works in incredible ways, in ways that we can't even begin to fathom, but he is that one. Now, in John's gospel, he would go further. Back in John 1, 1, we saw it this way. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Same Greek word, by the way, logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, hey, this one, you're looking for something that is kind of the comprehension of the universe, the order of the world, that which upholds, and, and is that which gives us kind of substance in this life. That's Jesus. That's who he is. That's what he does. All things, he goes on to say, were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men says everything that exists, everything that there is, Jesus made. There's not anything that we have that, that isn't held together by Jesus, that isn't him being the very one that upholds the very nature of our world. He is that which comprehends it. He is the one that does this in incredible ways, that he is the one who is the word of life. And again, I just, I give it to you kind of in a brief, like, hey, this is really, really big. And again, people will spend lifetimes trying to just communicate that one concept. And there's no way I did so in comprehensive right there. But let's just pause and say, that's him. 
I mean, this God who was from the beginning, this one who is the very substance that it holds together our world, the very one who is the point behind everything that is, that everything is flowing towards and to, and he is the one that's the center of it. He is that one who is the word of life. Well, then John tells us this one who was from the beginning, who is the word of life, that one was manifested that he was made known. In fact, he says it twice. Go there and pick it up in verse 2. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So he begins and ends verse 2 there saying, hey, that life, this one who is the word of life, he was manifested. He was made known. The word manifest has the idea of completely made visible, fully just just revealed in many ways, that there is this understanding of saying it's all there, fully known, fully seen, that all that would be and all that it is is there, and that's Jesus. We would say it in a very simple way that Jesus is God fully revealed. Like if you want to know who God is, then you look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the revelation of who God is. He's the one that we get to see God through him. He's the one that fully does that. So I go back to John 1.1, which we just read a couple times, where John in his gospel would say it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, and the Word was God. I mean, this is him who, from the very foundation, is there. He is God himself. And then he goes on in verse 14 and says, and the Word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This one who is God, who's the very substance of everything, who's the very life for us, he became flesh. He became, he was born. That God came and dwelt in a body, came to to live a life, to to live a perfect life, and to die on the cross for us. He became that for us. He's the one that is there. So much so that right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's having a conversation with his disciples, and they're talking about who he is and, and where everything is going. And in John 14, Jesus just simply says it this way. He said to him, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He says, you want to know what God's like? It's me. I am a full representation of God. Because, you know, Philip's asking him, like, just show us God. Just show us the Father. And he's like, I'm it. I mean, if you can see, I mean, this is God revealed to us. This is the expression of who God, that Jesus becomes the one that, that clearly declares to us, manifests to us, so that God is known fully in Christ. Hebrews would give it to us in its way of wording things at the very beginning of Hebrews, saying God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. See, as God's spoken to us, he does speak to us in so many other ways, but they are all shadows. They are all inarticulate in some ways expressions of the fullness of who God is. So God is known in his creation. The Bible tells us day after day, creation is declaring who God is. So you get a sense of looking at our world and there's a reality, hey, God is God. I mean, there is a God. There is a real powerful God. God is known hopefully through his people. We are meant to be expressions of him. God is known through his word. 
So we have the Old Testament scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, and he says even through these, through all these who would represent them, these are ways that God is making known, but none of them are the complete picture. Now, now the way that we really see God is through his son. In fact, he goes on in verse 2 of Hebrews and says it this way, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his persons and upholding all things by the word of his power. He says, that's Jesus. I mean, he's this one who, he's God. He is the express image of God so that if you want to know God, it is seen in Jesus. Now, this is really kind of powerful, but quickly understand, you just need to know that. Jesus comes and we see God clearly in him. Now, God doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow forevermore. The God who is and was and is to come. So when we think about God the Father, you need to understand that we get to see him best in Christ. Because see, here's how it works. I mean, maybe not for you guys, but every now and then people will kind of give this kind of dichotomy. Like, hey, well, Jesus is like this and God the Father is like this. Like the God of the Old Testament, he just seems so, uh, you know, and, and just harsh. And, and then there's Jesus, and, and he's so different. And I just want to tell you, if that's how you feel, it's because through the Old Testament, you didn't see it clearly. Because Jesus is God. He is God who always was, always will be. And, and he gives us an, an expression of who he is. And if you could see him, you would see who God has always been and always will be. That Jesus becomes the one whereby we get to see and know God. That he's this one that has come. That he is the one who is now making God known. Wow. Okay, so you're putting it together. We have this concept, we have this thing that John is telling us. He says, okay, this God who is from the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, God, who's the very one who upholds the nature of everything. He's the word of life. He's made known to us in Jesus. That Jesus is God made manifest. He's the one that is the one that shows us and declares to us and helps us see and helps us know God. But he says in the midst of that, go there and see it again. Verse two, he says, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you, notice, that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So he gives us another description that Jesus is the one who is that eternal life. When we try to gaze into this, it's probably helpful for us just to begin and say, okay, he's the source of it. He's the way that you and I can have eternal life. It's the only way. We think about the most just famous verse in Scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, or you could translate it, same word, eternal life. Here's how you get to know this. Jesus has come. He is the one that God sent into this world so that if we believe in him, then everlasting life is ours. In fact, when Jesus would pray it in John 17, he'd say it this way. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus making this a prayer and saying, this is what it is. This is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is knowing God in Christ. It's that 
reality that we have that. And so here we understand that when we say it and we understand it, that Jesus is the way and the only way that we can have eternal life. Now, that's just incredibly true. And again, I just need to say it as clear as I can. That's the only way you can have it. But in him, you can. But please just grab with me for a moment. We're not really the focus of this description. When he's describing us here, this here in 1 John, he's not saying here at this moment that he's giving us eternal life, though that is true because eternal life is given to us in Jesus. He's telling us that by his very nature, Jesus is that. That when he says he's that eternal life, the one who was from the beginning, the one who is the Word of God, the one who manifests God to us, he is eternal life that he himself is this, that he's the one that does that, that he all by himself in the midst of that, it's not just what he does, it's not just what he gives, it's who he is, that he by his nature is life to us. So again, I go back to the Gospel of John because he's talking about some of the same things at the beginning of the Gospel, and he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I mean, yeah, his life is light to us, but he's this. This is who he is. In him is life. I mean, he is the one where life is found. It's it's who he is. It's it's what he does. In fact, it will go on in 1 John in chapter 5 and say it to us this way. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It just can't be said more clearly than that, I suppose, in many ways. He says, he's life. If you have Jesus because he is life, then you have life. But it's because he is life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Because he by himself, all by himself, and and his nature is that one who is the only source of that, the only place of that, the only place it's found, the only incredible wonder of all that is that he himself is that. And again, I'm trying to just think about how to even communicate that because it's just so incredibly big. You and I live in a dark and dying world, and he's the only hope, he's the only life. Everything in this world is sick. Everything in this world is dying from sin. Everything. And in the midst of this world, there is only one place where there's life. Where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm it. I mean, so that if you could look at it and you could see it and you could see, okay, there's, there's one thing. There's only one place where life is found in the midst of an entire world of people and concepts and things. There's only one where God, the God who was from the beginning, who is the word of life, who manifests, who shows himself through Jesus, and he becomes that, that very avenue of life, of all life, of the only way to have eternal life, it's Jesus. That this is who he is, that this is what he is for us, that this is so incredibly what we get to talk about and have and need. And wow. So we walk just a little bit around there, and again, I just pause and just tell you, boy, that just scratches the surface of some incredibly deep things. That John, as he's beginning his letter... He's just talking about 
some of those most large concepts that could ever be just talked about. God, the very upholding of everything, the, the, the revelation of God in Christ, and the only way to be saved, the only way to have life is because He is life. And he does this for a lot of reasons. Again, because what we need to see is, is Jesus, this authentic understanding of Jesus that he's going to present to us. But one of the things you need to kind of have in the back of your mind is part of the thing he's doing in the book of 1 John is trying to rescue us and trying to help us from a fake Jesus, from a fake representation of Jesus, that he's going to talk about this throughout his letter because it had started to crop up already is John is the last of the apostles at this point in time, and he's writing, you know, to the churches, and he's recognizing that there's just these lies, these deceptions that are beginning to crop up and take root in the midst of the churches. And so over and over throughout the letter of 1 John, he's going to warn about it. And again, so Bible students pretty much understand that one of the motivations of this book is to draw us to this reality, that we see this so that we're not caught up in a lie. He would say it this way, for example, in chapter 4, He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He says, don't believe everything that people are saying. Don't believe everything people are saying about God. Don't believe everything, because there's lies out there. There's lies that are being said. There are lies that are being spoken. You need to test them. You need to, to kind of test where they are. And so he says, by this, You know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. He says, okay, this is one of the things that will define it for you. If it focuses on everything you and I just talked about, the God who is the God from the beginning, who's the very one upholding life, who has manifested that life in in his son so that that life becomes the source of all life. He says that's the very message that God has. It centers into the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished, it's the very foundation of truth for us in so many ways. And so he says if they don't confess that, they're not of God. If If it's not centering on Christ, if it's not centering on who he is, it's not of him. He says, in every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. He says, this is the attack. This is the work of the Antichrist. This is the message that will be true even then and continuing that would attack the very fullness of what God has for us in Christ that would move us away from that reality, that would call us away from understanding that. And he's calling us to recognize that so that we don't get caught up into it. Now, Bible students and historians look at this and say the lie that was beginning there at the end of the first century became what is known as Gnosticism. Now, you don't have to remember that. You don't have to become an expert in that, but it's at least helpful to understand it, that it really kind of fell under this heading, that there was this deception that began to crop into the early church that really fell under this heading. Gnosticism really comes from the the Greek word gnosis, which is, is where you get the word knowledge. It's not a bad word, by the way. It's used all the way through the New Testament that we know God, that we are meant to have this knowledge of God. But Gnosticism comes in, and it has a number of really tricky and deceptive lies. For starters, it begins to call to a special knowledge, a hidden knowledge. It begins to say, hey, there's this secret knowledge that only the initiated 
can really get to. I mean, others can't see this. There's, there's this hidden place where you could know this yourself and, and have this, but it's not manifest. It's not something that's made known to everybody. It's not revealed to everybody. It's a hidden and secret and personal and, and, and something that, that you could tap into yourself in many ways. And as it began to speak about that, one of the huge lies that undergirded this is a way that they began to look at reality. Now, fundamentally into the ally of Gnosticism is they really began to separate that which was physical from the spiritual. And in a very overly simplistic way, they would say, okay, everything physical is bad. And if it's spiritual, they, you know, the, the spiritual things are good. And they'd separate them. So they came up with some weird concepts to, uh, about Jesus. Some of them kind of said that Jesus wasn't physical. And, and so they said, well, you know, he really was a spirit. And so some Gnostic, you know, teachers said, you know, he probably didn't even leave footprints. I mean, he just kind of looked like somebody, but he, he was really a spirit. And it just appeared to be because if, if Christ is, you know, who he is, he can't be physical. Others came up with this dichotomy where they said, well, there was the man Jesus and the spirit of Christ comes upon him, but they kind of moves back and forth because obviously if it's spiritual, it can't be in the midst of it. And so they came up with a number of lies that sound weird and you might be thinking, so what are you even doing with that? But the essence of it is understanding is it was attacking the very message that is the most important message in the world, that began to separate people from the message of Christ, that it began to lead them into different things, and that's been found all the way through our cultures. I think about it this way. Um, John Lennon, one of the Beatles, many of you guys would recognize, he would kind of you know, lean into this in his own life, and he would say it this way. He says, it seems to me that the only true Christians were the Gnostics who believed in self-knowledge, i.e. becoming Christ themselves, reaching the Christ within and the light of truth, you know, turn on the light and all the better to see you with, my dear. He says, okay, here's what this is. There's, you know, that you got to have this inner light where you kind of find Christ, this, this concept of Christ, or again, this, you know, reaching Christ within. And that became the lie that was the Gnostic lie that once and more, you just need to understand that John is just speaking as clear as he can. It says, okay, if that spirit comes and they do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that God has came, and he came in the flesh, lived a life, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave. If that is not the message you're hearing, it's not of God. It's a lie. It's a lie that is a fundamentally wrong lie that's drawing you away from this. That's the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, is now already in the world. It's that which would separate us from Christ, and so at the very beginning, what John is just trying to tell us is this, this is the authentic Jesus. This is the reality of Christ, that this is who he is, that we get a chance to talk about, see, understand, and know this one who is this. So guys, hear it again. Jesus really came. I mean, he really is God, and God so loved the world, he gave his son. And Jesus was born there in a, in a manger in Bethlehem. He lived a perfect life, never sinning, called the disciples to follow him, ended up being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, was condemned to die on a cross, and Jesus himself really had real nails driven through his hands, real nail just driven through his feet. He really did go to a cross. He really did bleed there on the cross, and he really did die for our sins. And three days later, he really did 
rise from the grad the debt. He really did become all of that. This isn't a story. This isn't, you know, kind of a, a fictional account that has some warm, fuzzy feelings. This is a reality, and this is what you need. Because if I can say it in a way that's trying to make it as connecting as I can, you're a real person, and you need a real Savior. You don't just need a concept or a, or a warm, fuzzy feeling or a nice message that causes you, you need a real Savior you're really dying. You're really going to die. If, if Jesus doesn't come back, the sin that's affected this world is going to carry you to the grave, and you need somebody who would deal with death. And, and you need somebody who's, who's, because he rose from the grave, you'll rise. These are not just concepts. These are the realities we need, and it's the major message. It's the most important message. It's, it's the very thing that God is saying to us. It's the fullness of what God has for us in Christ, and he's telling us, hey, that's what I get to tell you about. I mean, this is what we have. We have a real Jesus that was from the beginning, who is the word of life, who was manifested to us, and this is eternal life. It is Jesus. I mean, that's what John is just launching out at the beginning of his letter to say. Like, we need this. This is the essence. This is the, the, the very message we have. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Any other message, it's going to go wrong. That's what we need. That, that becomes a, a true part of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. It becomes a message of the church that it's centered in just the death and resurrection of Christ. And he's saying, hey, that's what we have. We have this authentic Jesus who is everything you and I need. Now, in the midst of that, he's calling us to not just an authentic understanding of who Jesus is, but an authentic relationship with him. Now, you guys kind of caught it, right? But let's go back and see it there in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So John goes into this and he's talking about this and he says, I have a message for you. And it's that which we have heard, that which we've seen, that which we've looked upon, our hands handled. There is a certain part of this that gives a unique authority to the message that the Gospel of John has for us and that the letter of 1 John has for us, that in that sense that we understand that they had a, a personal experience to this, that when John is coming to tell us these things, they're not something that he just came up with on his own. It's not something that he just believed or, you know, kind of some kind of fantasy. It's like, I was there. Like, I was there. Like, I, I, I heard him. I looked. I touched. I, I, I held him. I'm not talking to you about some figment of my imagination. I was there. That's just powerful, by the way. That, just get, that gives a unique authority uh, to the Bible, a unique authority to, the, to what John is telling us. And in the most simple way, maybe I could tell it to you this way. So anybody else that comes with their own ideas, so a college professor who, you know, in 2021 stands up and gives you their opinion about Jesus, can I just tell you something? They were not there. I mean, anything, well, you know, this is kind of how we see it, you know, it's like, you're like 2,000 years removed, buddy, like you weren't there. I mean, anything you come up with, if it's outside of what's clearly here, here's what we have. We have eyewitness accounts. 
we have those who are telling us not about this in some kind of, you know, esoteric and kind of just, you know, fantasy way. It's just, it was personal to them. And it was real. Now, that's good, and, and, and that's helpful, and certainly that's a part of what's taking place here to give us this kind of authoritative representation so that when John's telling us all these things about Jesus, it has that message of authority. But it also has a, 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 an understanding to what real Christianity is, that real Christianity is an authentic relationship with Jesus. It is a real, it is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So that when we read these kind of concepts, when he says, okay, I've, I've heard, I've seen, I've looked on, I've handled, these become descriptions of, of a personal experience with, a personal knowledge, a personal connection with, and I want to say it as clear as I can. That is what Christianity is. Christianity is an invitation to a real, personal relationship with Jesus. Now, okay, let's back up for a moment. You know, sometimes we think about that. We think about the relationship that God is inviting you to have and me to have in Jesus, and we maybe might compare it to what John had. And we're like, well, you know, John actually saw Jesus. I mean, I mean, face to face. I mean, he got to really touch him. We don't get that. I mean, that's not the relationship we have. I think about how Peter would tell it to us there in 1 Peter 1.8. He says, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So here's our conundrum. I mean, in one sense, we say, well, but we don't have that. We don't have this place where we physically, you know, see a physical Jesus right now. He ascended. He died on the cross, and he, and, he, and he rose, and he's at the right hand of God right now. And so we don't have this place where we have what John has, but we do. In fact, I would put to you just a thought to think through. What you have is superior to what John had. What you have is superior to what John had. How could you say that, Jim? Well, I think about what the Bible says. It tells us in Corinthians that we walk by faith, not by sight. That, that we have this place that our apprehension isn't a physical, it's a place where we embrace God by faith, where it would tell us in Hebrews that faith is actually substance. It's a substance of things hoped for. It's evidence that we have this place where we connect with God by faith. We know him, but it becomes real. In fact, I think about Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he's praying and he's talking to the disciples and he tells them simply this, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, then the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. So this is Jesus telling us. And the disciples are hearing Jesus and Jesus is telling them, I'm about to leave you. They're not excited about it. It's like, where are you going to go? <laughs> where, where, where's that going to be? How's that going to work out? And Jesus says, you want me to go. It's to your advantage. It's a better thing that I go because if I go, then the Spirit of God is going to come and he's going to bring a connection between you know, God and his people that is superior to what we have right now. And I just want you to think about that for a moment because I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't know if you believe that. I, I don't know if you really believe that. I think for some of you are like, okay, if I got to choose, if I got to choose having a relationship with God today 
or being one of Jesus' disciples and getting to follow him around and, you know, actually hear his voice and shake his hand and, you know, I would say that that's probably better. But Jesus says it's not. He says that was good, but this is better. We have something that surpasses that. We have this thing, this relationship that the Spirit of God brings us into that has a deeper, more real, more powerful connection, but it is inherently real. It is this place where what he is calling us to have is to have this incredibly real relationship with God through Jesus, and it's real. Well, let's say that a different way. You cannot have a secondary relationship with Jesus. You can't have a second-hand relationship with Jesus and be saved. You can't be, have a kind of a virtual relationship with Jesus. None of that saves. What the Bible calls us to, to have is a very personal, real relationship with Him. So that anything less than that becomes a relationship that isn't saving. That anything not having that relationship is that. I think about it this way. Jesus would say it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, I've shared this with you guys in the past, but I'll just tell you, for me, these are probably the scariest verses in the entire Bible. I mean, they just, they scare me. They scare me when I think about them. They scare me when I realize it. Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. In the last day, when, when we're standing before God in judgment, he says, there are going to be people that are going to say, Lord, Lord, I know you, Lord, Lord Jesus. And he says, they're not going to get in. They're not going to make it. They're not going to enter into heaven because they never actually did it. They never actually did the will of my Father. In fact, he goes on to say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, but look at all these things. Look at look what's happening here. And again, I'm just telling you some of the things that scare me about this verse. I, I really dislike the first word, many. I wish he would say there's going to be a couple. I wish he'd say, well, there's a couple people that get it wrong. He says there's going to be a lot of them. There's going to be many people. And they're going to come and think because they knew my name, like, Lord, Lord, like we heard about you. You know, in Luke's gospel, he says, you know, we, we were there when you taught. You know, we kind of heard you in the distance. You know, we had this. We had this kind of secondhand knowledge of you. And some are even going to testify, but look at all the good things that we did. Look at all the good things that we did. Now, it's important to understand this because we're not saved by good things. We're not saved by good works. Nothing we do in that sense can do it. And some would say, I think about it, Warren Wiersbe once said it. He said, you know, a counterfeit Christian is kind of like a counterfeit $20 bill. You know, you can actually do some good with a counterfeit $20 bill. You could take a counterfeit $20 bill and maybe you go to the store and you might buy some medicine for somebody in need. You might buy some food and be able to give it away. And that counterfeit might actually accomplish something good until the store turns that counterfeit $20 bill into the bank and the bank says, reject it. Doesn't matter what good you did with it. That doesn't define it. It's not real. It's not in the midst of it. And so here's the problem. There are some people who, who base their life on, well, look at the good things I've done. And Jesus does such a great job with this because he sets the bar higher than any of us could imagine. 
So he says, okay, here are going to be people who say, I prophesied in your names and I cast out demons in your name. I mean, I just want to tell you in a very simple childlike way, that's like a really big thing. I mean, for most people today, if they're counting on their good works, they're like, you know, I was nice to somebody. Um, I helped an old lady across the street and I didn't kill anybody. And that was a big one. You might not have known that, you know, but it really was because I almost did. I mean, they kind of base, hey, these are things I could have done or didn't do. I mean, rarely does it actually cross the line into like, I prophesied. I cast out demons. But even if it went that far, even if that were possible for, for you to do huge things, spiritual things outside of Christ, she's like, it's not enough. That's not what saves you. That's, you're not going to get into heaven thinking, well, I know the answer. I know the password. The password is Jesus. Or you're not going to get into heaven because, you know, you've done anything good. Jesus simply says, I'm going to declare to them, I don't know you. I've never, we don't know each other. I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Said in, again, a simple way, that's what we need. And know a place that what Christianity is, is we know God. We know Jesus. You know, it's not a password. It's not a thing that you could think, hey, you know, I'll get to heaven and there's going to be this angel at the door and they're going to say, how do you get in? And I'm going to say, oh yeah, yeah, the password, the password's Jesus. It's not going to work. It's not going to be, well, look at the good things I did. I taught Sunday school. Um, I, I, I gave to, you know, some of the, you know, you know, hurricanes and stuff that were happening in our world. Never going to be enough. The, the, the thing that's going to be defined there is, do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Do you have a relationship with him? Because that's what this is. That's what God has done in Christ to bring us into a relationship with him so that we have a very real, very personable relationship with Jesus. That we could look and say, it's mine. I've handled this. I've heard it. I've seen it. It's, I touched it. I mean, this is who I am, that we would say it's real and it's personal. And I just want to tell you how important this is. And I wish, I wish with all my heart, it was everyone who was listening to my voice right now, but I don't think it is. Now, I don't have any kind of x-ray vision. I can't see where you are. But I know that it's probably true, maybe in this room, maybe watching online, that somebody's here and you're still counting on a second-hand relationship with Jesus. You're kind of thinking, well, you know, my parents are Christians. My husband's a Christian. My wife's a Christian. I'll get in through that. I mean, we, they, you know, I, I hear about this. I come to church, you know, and, and, and I, I even try to do some nice things. But you've never actually come to know God into a relationship with God that Jesus came to bring us into that Jesus came to reveal to us, that Jesus died on the cross so that we could have. And if that's where you are, then you're outside of this this morning. And with everything in my heart, I'm just pleading with you and saying, hey, let that not be you. Let that not be who you are because that's not what this is about. Christianity is not a church. It's not about being a church. It's not about doing church things. It's about a relationship with God found in Jesus. So that when he would come and say, okay, here's what we have. We have an authentic Jesus who is God, the, the Word of God made flesh, revealed to us, manifest to us, so that in Jesus is eternal life, and it needs to be personal for you. Wow. Nothing's more important than that. I think that should be clear. Nothing is more important than that that would be you. And that 
is our message. Yeah, this authentic message is what we get to declare. Go back and see it with me again. We'll just pick it up in verse 2. The life was manifested. That is Jesus. Like Jesus is God making it clear to us, showing us God. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen, verse 3, and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. Hey, we're going to pick that up next week and talk more about fellowship, but fellowship is participation. It's actual. It's real. But he says, hey, that's our message. Hey, we have this. This is what we've seen, and this is what we declare. This is what we get to tell people. We have a message of, of being able to declare this, of say this, what we've seen, what we've heard, what, we've, what, we've, what we know, this real relationship we have we get to tell people about. Okay, let's come at this in a different direction. I, I find myself thinking about it, and, and one of the you know, little phrases that stuck with me years ago is that you cannot give what you do not have. I think they used to say it this way, that Christianity is kind of like chicken pox. And we use chicken pox, not COVID. Okay, so don't even go COVID. Uh, chicken pox is kind of like COVID. You can't give it if you don't have it. I mean, if you, it's, it, there's no way to, to give that to anybody else. There's no way to share that with anybody else unless you have it. And so it's, what's needed is it be real with you. But if you have it, you are contagious, whether you recognize it or not. See, here's the beautiful thing. If you're a follower of Jesus and you really know him, you're an aroma of Christ in this world. And you are contagious. Uh, that, that just around you and in you, God is doing things which are amazing. And, and it just simply is a beautiful thing to think through. But what John is telling us is do that on purpose. Like, if, if you really get this, and you have this real relationship with God, and you have this thing that is, you should have, you know, again, we're not talking COVID, so don't go there. You should have one of those chicken pox parties. You ever heard of those, like when you had kids, and you had like one kid that got chicken pox, and you said, we're going to have like a chicken pox party, and we're going to bring in all the kids, because we want everybody to get exposed right now, and just, I mean, it's like, okay, I, I, I recognize I'm contagious, and I want to share it. I don't want to share it. He says, that's what you should do. You should become someone that would say, if I have a relationship with Jesus, and I know God, because I know Jesus, then that should be my message. That should be that place where it say, you know, that which we have, we declare so that you can have. So, think about it this way. So John's writing this, and again, I like the way he just says it there in verse 3, you know, that which we've seen and heard, we declare to you. In other words, that's why John's writing this letter. He's sitting here, and he's writing out this letter, and he's thinking of the people who are going to get it. He says, this is why we want to write this to you, because I'm thinking about you, and I want you to have what I have. So, quick pause and think about it. I left it as a blank there on the screen, I just want to challenge you right now to fill in that blank with a name or two that you would think, I have this. And I want to, with intention, declare it to somebody else. I, I mean, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of declaring. I want to be a part of making that known. 
that there ought to be a sense that if I have this, if I actually have a relationship with God, and I'm, this is the only way anybody can be saved. If this world is really dying, and Jesus is the only eternal life, and by God's grace, I've come to know God through, through Jesus Christ, then it's like, I have the message. Like, I have the message that should change the world, and, and we should be those who invite this. Because please understand with me, so much is working against that. Now, it's always been so, partly because of selfishness and sin. It's always been so because of our enemy that resists it. But if I could just give you a personal opinion, I think that Satan is working overtime. Maybe you don't feel it, but I think he's working overtime to try to silence Christians from sharing. That we live in a day where, you know, partly because of all the weird things happening in the world, partly because of the attacks, that in many ways, it would seem that more and more Christians are more comfortable being Christians themselves, but not actually declaring that not actually telling anybody else about Jesus, that in one sense, almost afraid of that. But I'm telling you, that's the only message that's going to change the world. And maybe in its simplicity, you could just recognize this. God is not asking you to answer everybody's theological question. He's not asking you to have, you know, the perfect explanation for every question that people have. He's telling you to tell people, I have this. I have seen, I have heard, I, I, I have handled. Like, this is my life. I have Jesus, and I want you to know it. I have Jesus. I have the answer to the world. I have the thing that fixes the, the sin in this world, and I so long that you would know that. I think about, you know, how that, that says it in Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who would trust him, that almost that would become you, that saying, I wish you would taste what I have. I want you to have what I have. I, I, I'm inviting you into that place, and he's calling you and I to have that kind of heart, that message. And Jeremiah gives it to us this way. It says, and you'll seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So this is God. This is him speaking it, and it's, he says this all over the Bible. But let's just tap into it a moment, because again, we're hearing. What does God want? He wants you to know him. He's not out creating a religion. He's not trying to create good works. He says, I want you to find me. I want you to know me. And he gives this incredible invitation. Seek me. You seek me. If you seek, for, and you really do seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And that's what Jesus has come to do in incredible ways, in ways that are beyond words powerful. So here's my invitation. My invitation is that that would be what you would say, but one more time, I want to come back to that invitation to you. See, it's an interesting thing. Maybe you're hearing me right now, and maybe you are that one that has a second-hand relationship with Jesus. You know about Jesus. You don't know him, and so now you're asking, like, okay, Jim, what do I need to do? I mean, what do I need to do? Now, sometimes churches have kind of created something that was never really there before. They've kind of created a man-centered approach to this. And so sometimes churches will do this, hey, you know, like raise your hand or stand and say this thing that's known as the sinner's prayer. Now, please don't take this as an entire attack. God works through such things. I mean, maybe you came to Christ in exactly such a way. That's a great thing. But it's a problem. Also, because it's not actually something that the Bible ever does. I mean, the sinner's prayer is never found in the Bible. 
And such a kind of just manufactured approach is never found in the Bible because God isn't inviting us to a, you know, hey, say this and you're fine. He's inviting you to him. Hey, seek me. Hey, you seek me till you find me. I mean, maybe that would happen right now. Maybe you'd humble yourself and say, God, I want you. And, and then, man, you would, you would find yourself just connecting with God and Jesus and it would be powerful. Or maybe it would take weeks or maybe it would take months of you saying, God, I'm seeking you. God, I need you. God, I, I want to know you. God, I, I want to know you through Christ. That you would become what some you know, people in church history have called seekers. This place where you're, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you're searching. And God says, you'll find me. I guarantee you that's going to work. because that's what you want. You don't want a relationship with the church. You don't want having kind of walked through a man-centered program. You want a relationship with God. You want that. And so I'm just telling you, that's my invitation to you as well. Now, John's going to talk more about this, by the way, because he's going to come on the other side of it when we start going, okay, so I think it's happened. I think I have a relationship with Jesus. How do I really know? And he's going to give us about seven things that we can say, okay, here's how we know that this really did happen to me. But right now, he's just inviting us to it. Right now, he's just saying, hey, I get to declare to you that God is made known in Christ, and you need him. That that's our message, that this is what we get to come about. This is what we need to hear. And so he's beginning his letter saying, that's what I'm here to tell you about. And certainly, that's what we needed to hear today. And certainly, that's what we need to hear in the letter of 1 John. That God would draw us to an authentic relationship with the authentic Christ, the, the one who is the expression and the only hope that's found in this world. Wow. I long that you'd have that. Well, we're going to close there. So you can close your Bibles, your notebooks. Let's take a couple moments, and we're just going to go before God in prayer. And I don't know where this has found you. Maybe you're in the middle of this, and, and you have this. And so sometimes it's just a reminder of what just this incredible thing. Like, you know Jesus. Like, you know the God of the universe, and it's just going to come across you as a, wow, I just needed to hear that again. Or maybe you're in that space where you're like, I, I might be a church person. Like I do church, and I try to be a nice person, and I try to be good, but you're saying I need to know God, and I don't know if that's me. Then I'm inviting you even now to begin to seek him. They, to say, okay, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to ask that I, I, if, if this is what it is, if Christianity is about knowing God, knowing Jesus, then I want that. I want that. And just by God promises, if you'll seek him, you'll find him. Or maybe the thing that's kind of sticking out to you this morning is that's what we need to make sure we're declaring. Like that's the message we have. And maybe again, you want to fill on that blank and you want to pray for somebody right now. It's like, I want this person to know this. Oh, I so want this person to know the God that I know. God, give me the ability to share, to make known, to declare that which I have heard, that which I have seen, that which I've looked upon, that which I've handled, this Jesus that is real, that I want other people to know. Quietly between you and the Lord, would you just talk to him about that wherever that is and whatever has kind of met you this morning? I'm gonna take a moment and pray as well. And then we'll come back and we'll close that in a moment. But right now it's a quiet moment for you to talk to God about what he has spoken to you this morning.
Jesus, you are the one who is from the beginning, who is the Word of God, who is God made manifest in our world. The very source, the very, the very eternal life that is the only life that is found. Thank you that you are this. We, we, we look upon this and recognize this is the only message, this is the only hope for mankind. Jesus, you are the way, and you are the truth, and you are the life. Nobody else gets there any other way. I thank you that you are this, and I thank you right now for those here this morning who know you, who've come to know you in Christ, just know, know God through you, and just thank you so much for that reality. Take us deeper in that reality. But I pray for any who are hearing my voice right now who have kind of thought that because they know your name, maybe they prayed a prayer because they've done some good works, that they're going to make it, but they don't actually know you. That somehow they misunderstood what this is and that you have drawn us to a place of having a relationship with you. Rescue these right now. Rescue those that you see that don't know you. May it be that not anybody here falls into that category. May you rescue any that are there and draw them to a real relationship with you. And then God help us to just magnify that message. May we make this known. May we be those who, because this is who we are, that people would see the reality of who you are through us and we would make that known. God, where we need to fill in that blank of, like, I want this person to know the, the reality of what I have. May you just fill that blank in in our lives and cause us to be those who declare you well to this world around us. Jesus, we just thank you that you are everything we need. And this morning we rejoice in the authentic, glorious, wonderful reality that you are. May we know you better. And may you be the one that draws us to that. We ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We long that God meets you in that and just draws you to what he has. If you need to talk to someone about that, we would love to talk to you about that. Pastor Phil will be up here. We have others up here. You can come up and talk to us. We'd love just to kind of walk with you in that, but we just invite you to this place of knowing God today. So guys, why don't you stand? We're going to close in a final worship song celebrating that very reality, longing that God meets us in that and that he shows us who he is. With that, I just want to declare to you God's blessing, his name upon you again this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.